Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Keep calm and carry on. You know it, right? That poster that has somehow become a modern-day icon. It's a drawing of a crown atop the words printed in big, bold block letters, keep calm and carry on. And in recent years, it has spawned versions that are on everything from coffee cups to keychains to kitchen towels. Things like keep calm and be friendly, or keep calm and trust God, or keep calm and eat chocolate, or my personal favorite, now panic and freak out. (laughs) The image is everywhere. But until this week, I didn't actually know the story behind it, other than knowing that it was sort of indeterminately British. But I did some research, and it turns out that in 1939, in the run-up to World War II, the British Ministry of Information created a series of three posters that they meant for broad public display that were meant to shore up morale in the case of war catastrophes. And all three had the same basic design, the image of the crown at the top, but different messages underneath. One of them read, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. The other, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And then the third, keep calm and carry on. The first two were widely distributed, but the last one, keep calm and carry on, never was. It was printed, two and a half million copies of it, but they were held back so that they could be used in the event of some kind of war disaster, like the bombing of a major city or even a German invasion. But by 1940, England was facing a significant paper shortage, and so almost all 2.5 million of those posters were basically recycled. And they were all but forgotten about. Except in 2000, a British bookstore owner found one of the original posters in a box of secondhand books. He put it up in his shop, and it caught so much attention that the whole keep calm and phenomenon was born. So keep calm and carry on. Apologies to Mab, but from a British, pers- I mean, from an American's perspective, there's probably nothing more that captures the British stiff upper lip than that saying, right? Your city's being bombed, Nazis invading your country. Keep calm, carry on, go about your day. Nothing to see here. Have a cup of tea. <laughs> but I won't just pick on the Brits. After all, in the aftermath of 9/11. A lot of Americans felt like our government's response was basically keep calm and go shopping. So no matter where we are from, no matter where our circumstances, we have this strong tendency to play down our fears. We like to pretend that everything is fine, even when we are terrified inside. Whether it's cancer or terrorism, unemployment, or hurricanes, even heights, or spiders. The world is full of things that we are afraid of. But all too often, the message we get is just 
pretend that it's not so. We tell ourselves we're not afraid. We keep calm and carry on. I mean, even the Bible tells us do not be afraid, right? If you Google do not fear in the Bible, you will get a whole gamut of counts of how many times that phrase appears in Scripture. I found everything from 29 to 365. And I will confess that I did not spend this week counting them. But everywhere from God's commission to Joshua, to the angels' greetings, to Mary and the shepherds, to Jesus' words as he is risen from the dead and greets his disciples, we see this message all the way through Scripture. Do not be afraid. But is that just God's version of keep calm and carry on? When we encounter something that is truly frightening, does God just want us to pretend that it's all okay? What does a faithful Christian response to fear look like? That's what we're going to be exploring over the next six weeks in a sermon series that I'm calling Living Unafraid. We want to be people who take seriously God's command not to fear. But our world, our lives are full of things that make us afraid. So over these next weeks, we'll be looking at some of those things that we often fear. Things like change, failure, the other, rejection, dying. These are very real fears. If we're honest, we all probably experience at some point. So what do we do about them? What does it look like to live unafraid? This morning I want to set the stage for these questions by looking briefly at three of today's scripture readings. Because I think they hold some really important keys to living unafraid. They're truths that we will keep coming back to throughout this series. But before we turn to the scriptures, just two things I want to clarify. The first is that fear is not inherently a bad thing, right? God made us with the ability to fear because there are things worth fearing. Poisonous snakes, car accidents, lightning strikes. A healthy level of fear leads us to do things that mitigate the dangers that those things pose. So we are careful where we step when we go walking in the woods. Or we buy cars with airbags and we wear our seatbelts. We come inside during thunderstorms. This week I saw a video of somebody who was out on safari and drove their car up really close to a rhinoceros. And that rhinoceros proceeded to just flip that car over so many times I lost count. Like it was a toy. I think that person in that car would have done well to be a little more afraid of the rhinoceros. So fear is not inherently bad. The problem is when our fears become all-consuming. When we are so full of fear that there isn't room for anything else. And when we allow our fear to drive our decisions. When we can't step back and look at the bigger picture and make a realistic assessment of the dangers that we face. That 
is when we find ourselves living afraid. The second thing I want to clarify is that fear is different from anxiety in the clinical sense. Okay, clinical anxiety is a complex mix of psychological and physiological factors that's really common and that can be helpfully treated with things like therapy and medication and other treatment strategies. And I want to be really clear, the solution to clinical anxiety is not just have more faith. And if anxiety is something that you struggle with and that you have not gotten treatment for, please talk to your doctor or come talk to me and I can refer you to a mental health professional who can help you. Because getting help does not mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't strong enough. It doesn't mean that God's going to be disappointed with you. Because sometimes, actually, the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. So fear is not inherently bad, and fear is not the same thing as clinical anxiety. Okay, so those two, being, two things being said, let's look at what our scriptures today tell us about God's invitation to live unafraid. So we'll start with our gospel passage from Matthew. We hear these really familiar words from Jesus. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will put on. After all, Jesus says, birds don't worry about those things, but God gives them the food that they need. Which is a lovely sounding idea. Except, have you ever stopped to think, what exactly would a bird be afraid of? I mean, a bird needs worms or bugs every now and then, but it's not like birds have to face the social hazards of middle school or deal with the heartbreak of rejection or worry about paying the rent or saving enough for retirement. Birds don't have to do those things, but we do, right? We have to face all of those worries and more. So thanks, Jesus, but it's a little bit harder to be a human than it is to be a bird. But of course, Jesus knows that because Jesus is human. He is God and he is human. So Jesus knows what it's like to experience all of the things that make us afraid. He knows what it's like to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be without a home, to be rejected by family and friends to be despised by people in power. Jesus knows what it feels like to disappoint the people you care about and to be betrayed by those closest to you. Jesus knows what it's like to watch people you love die and what it's like to face and experience death yourself. Jesus knows what all of these things are like Because he experienced them. Not so that we wouldn't have to, but so that when we do, we can know that they are not the whole story. These things don't get the last word. Jesus, the God-man, experienced the fears of human life and death so that we can face those same fears with the power of the one who brought death out of 
who brought life out of death. And that's the only way that Jesus' words to us in this gospel passage this morning, these words to not be anxious, it's the only way they make any sense at all. It only makes sense if Jesus is who he says he is. The Son of God who lived as one of us, who died out of love for us, and who rose to break the power of sin and death over us. Jesus' command not to fear only makes sense if he is who he says he is. And if we are who he says he is. Who he says we are, sorry. Are you not of more value than these birds, Jesus asks? And it's, of course, a rhetorical question because we are of infinitely more value than birds. When we encounter things that cause us fear, we don't have to be overcome by them because we know that we are loved. I think that's part of what John is getting at when he writes in our New Testament passage today that perfect love casts out fear. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, John writes. God is love, and there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Now, of course, God is the only one who loves perfectly. And because we are perfectly, completely, utterly, and unchangeably loved by God, we can live unafraid. We can live unafraid even when our bank accounts are overdrawn, even when we get fired, when our marriage falls apart, when the doctor calls with bad news. We can live unafraid because we know that our worth as those perfectly loved by God is not up for debate. No matter how bad things get, no matter if we are facing the worst possible outcome. God's perfect love can cast out our fear because God never, never, never leaves or forsakes his beloved. God's love is the antidote to our fear. Which leads us to the final scripture that we'll look at this morning. The story of the bronze serpent from Numbers. So hang with me on this because I know it's a little bit of a weird story. It takes place during Israel's wilderness years. God has set them free from slavery in Egypt, but they're wandering around in the wilderness and they haven't yet entered the promised land. And as they so often do during these wilderness wanderings, the Israelites are complaining. They're complaining to Moses, who is their leader, and they're complaining to God. And they're complaining because things are rough in the wilderness. They are hungry, and they are thirsty, and they loathe this worthless food, which, by the way, is the manna that God has been giving them every day. (laughs) So why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, they ask God. And that's their mistake. 
It's not that they're complaining, even about the manna. It's not even that they're missing the things that were better about life in Egypt. The mistake that they're making is that they are not believing that God will be true to his word. Because God didn't tell them he would bring them out of Egypt just to let them die in the wilderness. God told them he would bring them out of Egypt and into a land flowing with milk and honey. The Israelites' mistake is that they failed to believe that they are God's beloved and that God will never leave or forsake them. And so God sends some fiery serpents among them. My guess is that these are poisonous snakes that were in the wilderness all along, and God had actually miraculously been protecting the Israelites from them. But now the snakes come in, people are bitten, people die, and the people are scared. So they come to Moses, and they plead, and they say, we know we've sinned, and we're sorry, so please, please, please get God to get rid of these snakes. They are scared. They are afraid. And Moses, being a good leader, prays for the people. And God answers, and he says this to Moses. He says, I want you to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And anybody who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Weird response, right? But this is what Moses does. He forms an image of a snake out of bronze. He puts it up on a pole. And then when anybody gets bitten by a snake, they look up at that bronze snake and they're healed. So why is this how God responds to the people's fears about the snakes? I think there are two things that are going on here. The first is that looking at that image of the snake makes people face the thing that they are afraid of. God doesn't just say to the Israelites, when you're bitten by a snake, just pretend like nothing's happened, just keep calm and carry on. That's not what God says. God says, you're afraid of snakes? Then you've got to face that fear head on. And that is true for us, too, no matter what we are afraid of. We don't live unafraid by pretending there's nothing to be afraid of. We live unafraid by remembering that God is bigger than our fears. Which is the second thing that's going on in the story. Why are people healed when they look at the bronze snake? A bronze snake is not magic. They are healed when they look at the snake because when they do that, really they're looking to God, to the one who is Lord over all creation, who created the snakes and them. The Talmud, which is the collection of ancient writings by the rabbis about the Jewish scriptures, says this about this passage. It says, now, does a serpent kill Or does a serpent keep alive, meaning the bronze one? No. But when Israel directed their thoughts above and subjected their hearts to their Father in heaven, they were healed. But otherwise, they pined away. 
When the Israelites looked at that snake, they were healed, not because the snake was magic, and not because they pretended that they were not afraid. They looked at that snake, and they were healed because their hearts were lifted to their father. And we can also live unafraid when we face our fears and keep our hearts focused and fixed on God. Life is not short on things that can cause us to fear. But the promise that God gives us is that even in the face of those things, we can live unafraid. Because we can face our fears while we keep our hearts fixed on God. Because Jesus is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are. And because God's perfect love casts out our fear. And because all of those things are true, we can carry on. Thanks be to God. Amen.